Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. I have to say the audible we called today was probably necessary. Now I only sound like I smoked 15 darts <laughs> rather than 50. <laughs> I uh, I don't know that all parties involved, and I'm not even talking about us, could have made it out the door in the morning in the time that was needed to get back and uh, be ready to record this podcast. So very thankful. Catherine woke me up to tell me that you had texted her that we couldn't record at noon. And I was like, okay, I'm fine with that. <laughs> Brad? Yep. You're the, you. Brad's the kind of freak. When we talk about Brad... Just being constantly on the go. Brad uh, was obviously with us for Winged Wheel Podcast Night at the LCA. Went home and immediately hosted a small child's birthday party. That is nightmare fuel. Um, first question, what's wrong with you? Second question, how are you? Um, the what's answer wrong? might what's, be the same. Yeah, what's wrong with me? Uh, everything. And how my how was the party? Everything happened. So it was good. good. It was good. All right, folks, you are hearing a post-Winged Wheel podcast night at the LCA uh, crew here, uh, but we're still doing it. We're still making this episode and uh, excited to talk to you about all things Red Wings hockey. Welcome to the Winged Wheel podcast. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. Uh, just a quick note, if this is your first time tuning in, welcome. <laughs> Please know that this is a very atypical episode, uh, but we're, what we're going to talk about on this episode is a quick little recap of Winged Wheel Podcast Night at the LCA Part 3, the first one of this season. Uh, we'll talk about some goings-on with the Red Wings, uh, the Rasmussen suspension, and then, of course, the game that Detroit won, which was very nice. They got the uh, WWP Night Boost, so glad that we're 1-0 on the year. Uh, we'll talk about Lucas Raymond's emergence in that game with his first two goals of the year, uh, some other storylines, Matt Luff's face looking like Brad's, and uh, we're also going to be taking a look at, uh, very quickly, we're going to skate past it pretty much, Detroit's game against Boston before uh, taking a look around the rest of the league, overtime, and whatever else comes. If it's a shorter episode, it's a shorter episode. Sometimes... Uh, Sometimes you just got to refuel that way. I'm sure lots of people want to hear my voice like this right now. <laughs> I'm sure that's exactly what they want to do on their drive to work or whatever they may be doing when they consume the podcast. I heard a lot of uh, you're my lawn cutting uh, voices last night, which was really cool. I, I always like to know how people listen and uh, mowing the lawn is good. One guy told me that he uh, takes especially long doing the uh, trimming and edging around his house to uh, catch a full episode. He's like, he's, how big is this man's? No, no, no. He milks it. Oh, I see. Yeah, okay. yeah. Anyhow, uh, before we get into all that, I do want to let you know that this podcast is a proud, proud, proud supporter of the Jamie Daniels Foundation uh, in their fight against substance use disorder. Uh, Winged Wheel Podcast Night at the LCA is indeed a fundraiser for the Jamie Daniels Foundation, but more on that later. What I do want to talk to you about is Hot Stove Stories with Ken and Mick. Uh, which is on Thursday, December 1st. It is a breakfast event, 7.30 to 9.30 a.m., roughly, and it's going to be, of course, with uh, Mickey Redmond and Ken Daniels, and it is also going to include Red Wings legends Chris Draper and Chris Osgood and NHL referees, some of the most prolific names you'll ever hear in terms of NHL referees, uh, Dan O'Halloran and Wes McCauley, the man on the mic, uh, I'll be there playing referee, funny enough, and it is going to be an awesome event where you're, you're going to hear stories, banter. 
There's going to be a Q&A. Uh, there's a breakfast as well. Obviously, breakfast is served at that time. And there's going to be a live auction and a silent auction that starts a couple weeks before. Uh, it's a really, really great cause raising money for the Jamie Daniels Foundation. We're hoping to pack the room at Motor City Casino. And uh, we were talking to Ken actually about uh, we went out for dinner the other night before Wingwheel Podcast Night. And he was telling us about all the stuff that he has uh, that's he's been kind of putting together for these auctions. And it is really phenomenal stuff. Um, Matthews uh, signed jersey, a Crosby signed game stick, a cider signed jersey, a ton of stuff. I won't spoil it all. Uh, spoil it all. So please go to jamiedanielsfoundation.org to get your ticket. We hope to pack the room. Uh, get excited about the great, great memorabilia to bid on. And again, it is for a phenomenal cause in the Jamie Daniels Foundation. All right. The Red Wings' first suspension of the year. This one was bizarre. It, it all happened very fast. Um, admittedly, we were in like the throes of prepping for Winged Wheel Podcast Night, so we weren't too uh, dialed in or really expecting much. But essentially after the Boston game, there's a play in which Michael Rasmussen, you know, accidentally on purpose, uh, whacked David Krejci in the head with his stick. Krejci went off injured. The injury is not to his head, presumably. He would look like he was holding his wrist, maybe his ribs, he obviously got injured on that play, but it didn't seem to be from the stick. Regardless, you know, Rasmussen was penalized immediately, as he should have been. And uh, we got word that he was going to have a disciplinary hearing. The call came and went, and it turned out that Michael Rasmussen got a two-game suspension. It's shocking. I I fully agree that it is. it was an illegal play. I fully agree that it deserved a penalty in the moment. And I actually am quite happy removing all teams and bias out of it that the NHL looked at it because I don't think people should be hitting other players in the head with their stick. But two games? I thought the penalty was going to be where it ended. I was Maybe a fine? Yeah, maybe a fine because how much stick work have we seen over the past, I don't know, five years that we've been doing the podcast? Well, seven years we've been doing the podcast. Nearly eight. <laughs> it's going up fast. Yeah, COVID's messed up my brain. Yeah. Um, but how much stick work have we seen over the years that goes from nothing at all to a fine to multiple games? This one didn't really feel like any of it to me. I thought the penalty was probably sufficient. You know, you can have a hearing and still get fined. That would be okay as well. But precedent has been set that that's not a two-game suspension. And you know what? He has no history of disciplinary action, fine or suspension otherwise. There's nothing on his record that's marking him right now. Can't trust those guys who have no suspensions. Yeah. Someone with crazy eyes like Rasmussen, they're like, no, he has skeletons in the closet. That's right. Another point here that I thought was really uh, kind of muddied the waters was Kuznetsov whacked a guy in the face with a stick in what I thought was a more malicious act. Kuznetsov got a game. I thought... My my honest opinion on that was, wow, I'm glad the NHL uh, Department of Player Safety actually did something about that play, but a, a game isn't enough for whacking a guy in the face or the head with your stick. This one, I'm not calling it good, but it, I don't think it was that, that bad. And I struggle to see why it was it warranted twice the suspension, if any. Well, if we want to talk about precedence, there is one theme that has held up with the NHL over the years that you could translate directly to the Rasmussen and Kuznetsov suspensions. 
And to sum it up simply, one of them is a star player, one of them isn't. I I don't even think that's a conspiracy theory. Like it's, I, it's not. It's they've been so. I'm not going to say transparent because they don't come out and say it, but it's been such a constant theme for so long. Like Duncan Keith baseball swung at a guy's face twice in his career. And I, what was the longest suspension of the two? Like seven games, like literal full on swing. Weren't those like pretty much just breaks before the playoffs? I think too. one was yeah, the exactly. remainder of the regular season. And it was like yeah. five or seven games. Yeah, let him rest up for the playoffs. Essentially, yep. it's you know, and Duncan Keith at that time was in his prime. So it is what it is. The NHL wants to make examples of guys who won't impact the viewership, the bottom line, et cetera, the marketability of the league. So. You know, when it's a Rasmussen who does something that, in my opinion, yeah, I, I can justify suspension on it again in if you isolate it. But yeah, it was a week ago that the Kuznetsov incident happened. The Kuznetsov incident was clearly worse. Like, I know it's a subjective topic, but clearly and obviously and objectively worse. Yeah. But Kuznetsov's a star, Rasmussen's not. Here's where I, I'm I'm really landing on it is it's exactly what you said, Brad. Like you can get to a point where you're like, yeah, I, I can understand making an example and isolating everything, understanding the suspension. My one, aside from Kuznetsov, my one other thing that I want to go back to is they cited Krejci's injury on the play. And I don't object to them citing a, an injury on the play as a factor in a suspension. I think that's good. You have to kind of weigh that to some degree. But we still don't know what the injury was. Was that injury just from, you know, did Rasmussen sneak a butt end in there? Was it just from the impact of the hit? It didn't seem to be from when he whacked him in the head with his stick, which was the actual, you know, illegal play that he is being suspended for. So are we setting a precedent where if the injury isn't related to the directly illegal act that he's going to get suspended for that as well? We're just kind of tacking it on. I know I'm getting into the nuts and bolts of it here, but if that was actually a major driving factor and not something that they just threw into the video to say, hey, this was a pretty bad play, then uh, I know I, I know it's easy to say, objectively speaking, I can get behind the league saying, don't hit people in the head with your stick. That's two-game suspension. But with Kuznetsov, with the injury kind of iffiness, I was pretty surprised. It's not the end of the world. It's two games. Hopefully Rasmussen doesn't do that again. It wasn't his best game in the world in terms of making smart decisions. Um, but still that came down and I think all three of us went, what? I think a lot of people were even talking to people last night. They were very confused. Um, I think Ken and Mick both brought it up at the, the live podcast yesterday. They were also confused about the suspension given the precedence, you know, if the, if this is what the precedence is for the rest of the season and onward, then fine. Because at least we have that for once. If I had a nickel. <laughs> yeah. If, if this is how it becomes, then sure. But, you know, that is yet to be determined. Yeah. If this is the precedent that the uh, NHLPA or the, sorry, the And NHL... I'm fine with that. Guys should not be taking liberties with their stick up no, high. Don't use your stick as a weapon. And if the Department of Player Safety has just now in this moment decided that they are going to crack down on it. <laughs> totally did a 180 on what how they've operated. Yeah. 
It's just funny time. They actually had a meeting three hours before, and they're like, hey, let's really come down on people who hit people in the head with their stick. Another thing is Rasmussen really re- leveraged his um, size and height on that too. Like when you have that much force uh, that you can drive from the top down, you can really you could really hurt someone. So yeah, I understand. I guess you shouldn't play in the NHL then. <laughs> don't play in the NHL if you don't want to get whacked in the head, two-handed in the head with your stick. Evan big, Lobsinger. Big boy league. The big boy league. <laughs> Evan appealing to the uh, the boomer era. That's right. Yeah, was it the boomer right. window? Yeah, the boomer window. Yeah. Well, that uh, broke up the um, Mickey Redmond dub treesome line even further. So no Sunquist, no Rasmussen. Uh, Soderblom kind of left uh, as the last man standing there. Uh, no pun intended. Coming into the Minnesota game, aside from the excitement of Winged Wheel Podcast Night, and this is another thing that uh, Ken said at the live show. By the way, the live show will be posted for you to listen as a bonus episode. It uh, just takes some time for us to both uh, regain consciousness and then uh, edit and post it. Uh, But Ken said it and Mick said it at the live show. It's a big test for the Red Wings. Like We've talked about it a lot over the last couple episodes. The Red Wings have had a funny schedule in terms of you know, some opponents coming on long road trips, some of them being really weak opponents. Uh, there are some games that were, I think, really good tests. I think LA and Chicago were um, good measures of the Red Wings. But games like Minnesota, where they can win, those are going to be good measures of this team. And this team has been through a lot. No no Rasmussen and Sunquist, that, that's bad. Uh, no Bertuzzi and Verona, that is awful. Cider is still not Cider of last year yet. Raymond coming into this game was completely cold. Uh, the top six was out of sorts. And, you know, we're already at the point where we're coming into this game with with the top line of Larkin, Raymond, and Ernie. So this was a, a big night for the Red Wings, I think, in the end, taking the, the 2-1 win ultimately. Yeah, the Red Wings have had a lot go wrong for them so far in this season, uh, short though it may be. They were above 500, so they were treading water, but with a pretty favorable schedule to this point. And yeah, Minnesota was coming in, um, finally getting it together after they had a really slow start. Uh, Detroit got their backup, and you know, the Red Wings had a lot of adversity going into this game, and then Kaprizov scored, what, two, three minutes into this game? Yeah, as is tradition. Like, yep. right off a... Of breakdown in the neutral zone that led to a two-on-one so a lot of the bad habits that crept in in the New Jersey and Boston blowouts and that was pretty much it for the game defensively um, they had a couple of fire drills in their own zone but nothing that any other team's not having a couple times a night in the rest of the NHL um, Huso was tested a lot but he was great um, the Red Wings did not give up that many odd man rushes after that goal and yeah, it was good to see, um, you know, elite top line playmaker Adam Ernie helping uh, Lucas Raymond get out of his funk. This is going to sound like I'm being, uh, like this is revisionist. And it's good when um, Lalone does it and bad when Blashill did it. Because I, I know there were a lot of complaints at times, depending on who went to the first line, uh, when Blashill's blender would come out. Which I don't think was so much of an issue in his final season, but before that. Uh, but I... Coming into tonight's game, I was like, yeah, with the top six decimated, with Raymond needing something to kickstart him, I don't care if Adam Ernie came in and, you know, put on a riot shield and just skated straight through Minnesota's goalie to clear a path for Raymond to shoot into the net. I just wanted something to shake up for Raymond to wake up on that line and it not be just on Larkin's shoulders. And lo and behold, 
I mean, that's not literally what happened, but Adam Ernie made a really great pass, an awesome find to to Lucas Raymond in front, who followed it up with just as good of a shot. Like Adam Ernie on his backhand uh, found Raymond right right in front of the crease. Raymond kind of moving away from the net, put it over the far shoulder, and it was just you could see from his celebration he was pumped up. He was that shot needed to go in for him, and it did, and something woke up in him. He looked a lot better the rest of the game as well. He did. So I think this is a confidence injection that he desperately needed. So, I mean, time will tell, but uh, after that moment, he looked a lot better. And so much of it is confidence, right? Like, we watched Raymond have a Calder Trophy conversation level season, so to speak, last year. That talent doesn't just go away. Uh, We've said time and time again the challenges that sophomores in the NHL face, especially high-profile ones. There's a lot of tape on Raymond now, and teams are it's not exactly a hard game plan in terms of how they're trying to isolate him and, and close in the space extremely quickly. Basically, don't let these smart, agile, talented players have a lot of time with the puck is uh, rule one. So getting that confidence, it just, it can. It doesn't always, but it can unlock a lot in a guy. And you hope with someone of Raymond's caliber that it does. Because this is an entirely different Red Wings team if it's Larkin, Raymond, Kubelik and whichever other guy is on that night in the top six as opposed to Larkin and then whatever Kubelik can conjure out of thin air which is what he's doing I don't think Raymond's been playing bad this year even in this game before his goal I don't think before his goal but he had two really really good looks that didn't go in the net where Gustafson just made like terrific saves on him and and you know, that's just tonight. The rest of the season, he's had his looks. They just haven't went in for him. And, and you know, we've talked about it with Zadina. Like, you just need one to drop, and then, you know, the snowball starts going. And, you know, as Phil Zadina has proved time and time again, that's not true for everybody. But <laughs> <laughs> Raymond got his one, and then it took him 25 minutes to get number two. Yeah. So, you know... It, that theory will probably actually hold true with Lucas Raymond. What I really liked about Raymond's two goals was that he earned them both. First one, wicked shot, beat a goalie who didn't square up properly, wasn't in the right position, and, and that's what you do as a guy who hopefully scores a lot of goals. You punish goalies who make mistakes. And if a team wants to play their backup goalie against the Red Wings, then by all means, the Red Wings, please, for the love of everything good in this world, start punishing teams for doing that. I'm so tired of knowing other teams' third-string goalies. Uh, but the second goal, that was Raymond getting to the dirty area, getting his nose dirty and crashing the net. That goal counts all the same as the first one, and you have to know that Raymond went home happy that he got a two-goal two night and almost a hat-trick on an empty netter, and he wasn't in his car going, oh, I scored one nice goal and one uh, fluky bounce one. No, like, whatever you have to do to put those pucks in the net, you have to do. We talked, uh, we'll, we'll talk later, but we talked on the live podcast, I think it was the Boston game where Zadina was stick handling kind of uh, right along the uh, the red line the um, in the Boston zone towards the net. And instead of cutting in front and crashing, he deked away to go behind the net to, I don't know, try to go around and pass in front. Lost the puck eventually, but, you know, the confidence isn't there. No nose for the net right now. That If you don't put the puck in the net, or if you don't put the puck towards the net, it has zero chance of going in. Wayne Gretzky had a quote about that, I think. I thought that was Michael Scott. Yeah, yeah, you're right. That's the difference. And so for Raymond to to make those two different plays, I was like, it, it's just, you know, I'm breaking this down to the minutia of it, but it was really nice to see him get rewarded in two different ways. 
the game overall, uh, actually, let's let's talk quickly. This was uh, the Red Wings broke away from their from their cycle of goalies. They went with Huso again, and uh, Huso rewarded them for it. Like we talked about last episode, it, it looks to be Huso's hot hand right now and uh, the right move. He looked really good after that first goal. He, giving up goals in the first two minutes is Red Wings branded hockey, but um, for for goalies, that's tough. Like you're you, you're mentally prepared for the game and you give one up early. Sometimes it's really hard for guys to come back from that. So it was really good to see Huso settle in, play a really good game, and ultimately shut the door on on Minnesota from for the rest of the game. We were up in the gondola, and someone uh, that was probably me. What do you mean? I I was just guessing what you were going to say. Oh. <laughs> I think I know what it is. But continue. No, no, someone in uh they weren't a they weren't a Red Wings or a Wild fan, but they're a Winged Wheel podcast fan. So they're up in the gondola <laughs> and they were chirping me. They were like or they're chirping us and they're like, "How does it feel to watch the Red Wings get scored on within the first 2 minutes?" And I was like, "Normal. <laughs> it's we've been we've been watching this for a few years, man. It's yeah, it's pretty This common. is not our first rodeo. No. No. And I mean it's Kirill Kaprizov, which by the way, that guy is so fun to watch. I understand it's not fun to watch him score against your team, but he is so freaking fun to watch. He is so good. He, for a guy his size, his puck protection and control is just unbelievable. Every time he had the puck that game, it was his until he got bored. Yeah. Like, it, nobody could stop him. You could put Sherratt, Soderblom, whoever. Didn't matter. Kaprizov wasn't giving up that puck. And then, yeah, he gets that two-on-one early in the game. So he has time and space. Defen- I forget which defenseman it was for the Red Wings, but he he plays pass. So Kaprizov's like, all right, bar down. Yeah, didn't good, even good luck. Didn't even stick handle. Kind of held, made no body fakes. But because it's Kaprizov, everyone was kind of trying to guess what he was going to do next. And then it, you're right, he just decided to score. It was much like when Verana is in the lineup and shooting. Same thing. He's just like wires it and decides to score. But the thing is, Kaprizov can do that in every other facet of the game. And you describe him with the F word, freak. So anyhow, uh, but yeah, Huso, Huso came in. I thought, uh, I do think this was a game where the Red Wings showed that they still obviously have warts, which aren't going to go away for a while um, as they get settled into new coach, new systems, new team, get through injuries, et cetera, et cetera. Minnesota for a lot of this game dominated. I think Detroit had what? One shot on goal in the third period. Some old habits die hard. They... I thought they looked out of sorts for the first at least 10 minutes of the game. It wasn't all in their own zone, but even when they were in Minnesota's zone, there's a lot where I was watching. Prashant was next to me, and I was like, What's go- what are they doing? So for Huso to come in and only allow one goal in a game like that, where, the, where Minnesota very well could have won with a couple other lucky bounces, that's the kind of difference that you hope the goalie you, you pick that night makes. And, and I think that win is just as much on his shoulders as it is uh, Lucas Raymond's. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Minnesota put up over 30 shots and one goal against. I don't care where or what the shots are in a game like that. That's a good game. And yeah, there was the Red Wings for their lack of, we'll call it defensive coverage. They really do sell out in the D zone. At least there was that one PK, and I know the players talked about it a bit after the game. A, a few of them did, where Cop broke his stick immediately. Yeah, and so they were basically five on three, and Minnesota had 
control the entire time. And, you know, who made a couple good saves, but the Red Wings blocked a lot of shots in that span. And, you know, Sherratt put in a lot of work, you know, for his, all the deficiencies Sherratt has. That, that is why you brought him in. That was the quintessential Ben Sherratt's going to hit guys, chase some pucks, and block a lot of shots. And, you know, when you are essentially on a five on three kill, we'll call it five on three and a half. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it made a hell of a difference. So, you know, the compete is there for the Red Wings right now, which is good because that was not consistent at all last year. And, you know, they still have their flaws and and a lot of the players they have aren't perfect, but you saw the progress last night. You saw what they were trying to do. And, you know, they were mostly successful last night. And if you can be mostly successful and walk away with a win, well, then you are successful. That's what we talked about when last episode, which I think was aptly named for both the Devils game and the Boston game that came after after it, which was just deep breaths, right? We talked about it. Ken talked about it. It's not going to be pretty. It doesn't make it easier to watch. And I still maintain what I said, which is I, I don't begrudge anyone who has expectation and is, and is disappointed and even a little bit frustrated, but don't project that out over the entire season. Like it's not going to be pretty as they kind of work it through, work through it. And I know it's hard to imagine it, but the results are still more or less there for the Red Wings. Like they haven't been phenomenal, but I think as of right now, they're in a wild card spot for the playoffs. It's head, not head of Toronto Maple Leafs. That's right. Who have been very poor as of late uh, for like the last 55 years, I think. Um, I'm not saying they're going to hold in a playoff spot, but. You know, the Red Wings have 10 of a possible 16 points. It's not terrible for a team who on paper isn't projected to be a, a playoff challenging team. If, like like I always say, like if you would have told me at the start of the, last year that this year we would have 10 of 16 points thus far, yeah, progress isn't going to be a linear path. It isn't really for any team, but this is a better start than expected, I think, for the Red Wings. If you told me that between L.A., Chicago uh, and Minnesota game, like those three games, the Red Wings were able to take away four points of a six. I would say good enough. It's not the it's not the best in the world, but it's still better than you would have thought. So it's not a lesson, and you know, write home about this. And the Red Wings are on the rise, and they'll never fail again. No, there are going to be some tough conversations, and it's not going to be pretty. Um, but I thought that was a good game where they hung in there. And like Brett said, some old habits are still dying hard and, and the Red Wings have to shake that and get through it. Whether those are old habits or whether that's, you know, injuries or, or personnel on the actual team remains to be seen. We're still only 10 games in, but um, if the Red Wings can steal points away as they're working that out, that is much better than we could have expected in previous years. Yeah, from a, at a holistic level, you got to like what the Red Wings have done to start the season thus far. Um, a lot of injuries right now, of course, and very key players. Yeah. So um, the game this week against Buffalo will be a very important uh, game, not only in terms of standings, but sort of a benchmarking game. Um, yeah, we'll 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 see where the Red Wings go. But I mean, all in all, it's it's been not not a bad start at all for the Red Wings. Yeah, that game against Buffalo is on Monday night, uh, on Halloween night at 7 p.m. in Buffalo. And I agree, Evan, you've brought that up a couple of times. It's, that's a good benchmark game. That's a team that I think has 
probably a little bit different in terms of how far along they, their path they are than the Red Wings, but in, in the same realm. Like you want Detroit to be fighting them as they're looking to ascend the Atlantic standings over the next season or two. So that's going to be an important game, especially on the road for the Red yep. Wings. Um, the oh, I should also be worth uh, worth mentioning Larkin to assist that game. Kubelik again assist the the second Raymond goal was a power play goal. Speaking of special teams, the first game uh, of the two that were played since the last episode, the Boston game where they ended up, it all fell apart. They uh, they couldn't unlock Swayman. Ernie had a turnaround shot from the point that should have shouldn't have gone in on me, let alone a goalie who was playing as well as Swayman. And that's hockey. It went through, and all of a sudden, the Red Wings were coming into the third period uh, with a chance at the game. And I thought, oh, man, this is fantastic. It's exactly what they needed. And then it all fell apart. The end of the game was 5-1. Obviously, the Rasmussen suspension happened in there. Um, Boston scored, I think it was three goals in 99 seconds to essentially start the third period. It was Brad Marchand's first game back. He came back pretty early from double like hip surgery. a month surgery. and a half early. Not a little freak. And you know, so many people said this to me. It's like, you know, even with your visceral hatred for Brad Marchand that some fans may have, it does not matter. He's going to come in and he's going to dunk on your team in his first game back. And he did. So he kicked off uh, a score. He actually scored one in the second and then kicked off scoring in the third and was involved the whole game. And... Um, yeah, two, three power play goals against for Detroit. So a penalty kill that looked phenomenal really up until that point in the season. It all went away. Special teams was their undoing, and they actually you know, they actually weren't that awful. Daniello reported, Lillone saying, uh, the Red Wings weren't that awful 5-on-5 five five against the Bruins. They were kind of hanging in there. It wasn't, they weren't getting chances galore, but they were kind of holding Boston out, and it was special teams that undid them. Yeah, I, I hate a lot of old-school hockey platitudes but at five on five that game, they played a good road game. Nothing really happened at five on five. It was not a barn burner. They weren't trading chances. The Red Wings were generating next to nothing offensively, but neither were the Bruins really at five on five. So the whole game felt kind of sleepy and and like the Red Wings were trying to do that on purpose to the Bruins, just kind of, you know, suffocate them problem with that is against a team like Boston you have a, any lapse at all you're and you're toast that's the difference right like Boston's a fantastic team so far this year yeah they're seven and one eight and one something like that so you know I understand what the wings were trying to do there and again in, in the old hockey platitude they were trying to just have a good road game survive hang in there and then just capitalize on the mistakes when um, Boston had them um problem Boston doesn't really have any um yeah I I would have liked to you know see them be a little more aggressive in circumstances like that it's one game it is what it is the Bruins are steamrolling the NHL right now so understanding everything understanding that the PK has by and large been very 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 good you have one bad game you kind of end up even at five on five for most of the game. Yeah. You you burn that game tape, throw it out, don't think about it. Like I said before, so just because we recorded an episode before the game doesn't mean the same lesson doesn't apply. It's going to take time for the Red Wings to work out these lumps, deep breaths. You can absolutely have expectations for this team. The coach has expectations. You know damn well Steve Eisman has expectations for this team, but it's not a linear path. 
as you've both mentioned a lot, it's uh, it's going to take time for them to to figure it out. Matt Luff took a puck to the face uh, and uh, looks gnarly. I can't remember how many stitches he apparently has. So they said sixteen, and he lost a bunch of teeth. Yeah. Well, yeah. well, nice welcome gift, eh? Jeez. But he took it like a champ and uh, was out practicing this morning. So good for him. Glad to see he's okay. Uh, I would love to say no worse for wear, but I think Lalone described his lip as the size of a watermelon. So, uh, very much worse for the wear. I stayed out till 2 a.m. and couldn't get out of bed before 9. It was very <laughs> difficult. The look, I know what he's going through. <laughs> yo, Evan, <laughs> the look on your face when uh, everybody looked at you, like, oh, yeah, we're, we're going to wherever. Are you coming? Like, the wheel was turning, but the hamster's dead. Those eyes were made out of pure glass. Yeah. Evan and I were both. I'm just glad everyone was having fun. Yeah. That's definitely the sentiment we shared when there was yet another destination added to the night. <laughs> you and yes. Evan and I looked at each other and we both tried to just teleport everyone back to their hotels and Airbnbs. I was so attempting to influence their decisions, but they were having none of it. No. And you know what? They earned the right for all the work you're they did that damn night. Right. Yeah. Prashant and I were having the conversation on the way back to the Airbnb. We're like, Probably makes sense that the the two people there that actually had kids were the two that, when that idea was brought up, were just like, no, absolutely not. You guys have fun. You were, <laughs> you made the smart choice. Prashant looked at me very matter-of-factly and said, hey, I have nothing left in the tank. I'm going back. And I went, remember me fondly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Let's take a quick standings update because, you know, we're talking a lot about the Red Wings uh, and how long it's going to work or take to work through these lumps. And is there going to be a magical date when they're all of a sudden settled into they are what they are and we know where they're they're going to stand. But as of right now, the Red Wings are in the first wildcard spot. Through eight games, they have a 625 points percentage, uh, 10 points. So the Atlantic standings uh, with, again, Boston leading, they've been fantastic. Boston, Florida, Buffalo, Detroit behind them at fourth, Tampa's fifth, Montreal sixth, Toronto in seventh. Oh my goodness. These standings mean nothing. I'm going to ask you two questions here to dis- and it will it should aptly describe the Atlantic right now. How many points between Detroit and second place? Between Detroit and second place is a whopping single point. And Detroit and last place in the Atlantic? Is a whopping four points. There we go. Oh, sorry. In the Atlantic? In the Atlantic. Two points. So a three-point swing between second and eighth right now. Yes. And that was a point I was getting to. You know, the Red Wings are in a playoff spot, quote-unquote, right now. But, again, as... They they do have a game in hand on a lot of these teams. They do. And we're not going to get into, does that mean the Red Wings are going to be? You don't even even start to try to make playoff predictions right now. That's not it at all. But... Considering the fact that the Red Wings have all of those factors, which I list 10 times an episode at this point, working, I'll say against them to start the season, this is pretty okay. They have a ways to go, though. Inevitably, they're going to drop down the standings unless they go on some insane tear and whoso elevates to like God tier level goalie. And, uh, you know, another team is going to have to fall off of Florida, Boston, Toronto, Tampa has to fall off. At least one. And how, how no one else doing? can also do what we're hoping the Red Wings can do. Yeah. How are the Leafs doing again? 4-4-1, four, four, and one, nine points. There's there's your opportunity. No, no, someone else in addition, I think. 
because they are in eighth place. They're a non-factor right now. <laughs> <laughs> they're a non-playoff team. I mean, even when they make the playoffs, they're a non-playoff team. Yeah, that's right. So we know, obviously, all things considered, it is very, very likely that Detroit's going to tumble down these standings. At what point in the year would you look at this team and go, okay, no longer, no longer Ryan can you spout off about, oh, new systems, oh, new players, oh, injuries, whatever it might be. Is there a, a time, are you talking the holiday break? Are you talking Thanksgiving? What do you think in terms of this team needs to have figured it out by now? Ken Holland was the one who pointed out Thanksgiving trend, and that has held up way more often than it hasn't. So I think that's a pretty good benchmark because you're almost, you're like a month and a half into the season. You're about 20-ish percent of the way through the schedule at that point. That's enough of sample size. Like by and large, you are who you are. Then there's obvious exceptions to that, but they're pretty rare. Although it's shaping up the Red Wings might be one of those obvious exceptions. New coach, a lot of new players missing two of your top four forwards. So, yeah. The Red Wings are still better than last year, even without Bertuzzi and Verano right now. But I'll say Thanksgiving with the asterisks that they're probably still going to be missing two difference makers. I honestly don't, like, I don't really care how long it takes. I'll say by the new year, you hope to see this team have some kind of rhythm or understanding of where they are and there's not too much volatility. And you can, you know, discern what player is actually good or what player is actually underperforming. You know, Cop is still getting up to game speed, uh, which isn't noted enough, I don't think. All that still, though, that's not a hard date for me. I really just care most about two, three things. One, the health of this team. I want Bertuzzi and Verona on the ice. And, you know, Bertuzzi has a long-term injury. I think it was like three to five or four to six weeks or whatever it is for his hand. Uh, Verona, it's at his own pace. And and you, no one can pretend to know specifically what's going on there. So you just wish him well. And you hope that he comes back if and when he's ready and appropriate. Two, actually two and three, I'll put them together. Lucas Raymond and Mo Sider. I just care about them finding their game. And again, Brad, you said earlier, it's not like Raymond has been bad before the two-goal game where he reemerged. Uh, and it's not like Sider has been bad. But very obviously, they are going through the paces of a second-year NHLer where the teams understand how they play, where the teams have the tape. The teams play them differently because they know their target, because they know their star players where they have a lot of different mental factors working against them. And, you know, they're working with new line mates and teammates or whatever it is. Cider is going to be the best player on his pairing probably his entire career. So he's going to have to understand how to play with different uh, defensive partners who are do or don't benefit his style. Uh, Raymond is going to have to, at times, drive a line from the wing, and it might not even be the first line. I care about the Red Wings figuring that out. And I care about them devoting time and energy to figuring that out. And I would like to see that by 2023. By the new year, I would that that's important to me more than anything else. Also, uh, for the, the check as to where special teams are right now, the, the PK has come down to earth, so to speak, and the Boston game didn't help it too much. So they've moved down to 7th. They're at 84% uh, on the season for the PK. And the power play is a paltry... 19.4%, which is good for two-thirds of the way down the standings at 21st. So on games where 
you know, they can just hang in there with a really, really good team five on five, they need to give their goalie a chance and not get destroyed on special teams. So that that's going to be how they beat the Bostons if they can take points off of them is they can't make, they, first of all, they can't take stupid penalties. And secondly, they need to, they need to at least have it be a wash on special teams to have a chance. That's a, like one last thing about where the Red Wings are right now, so to speak, is there's a uh, the hype from the start of the season has died down for a lot of people, and I think this is just because this is the like the messy, mucky middle right now. We're getting both ends of the spectrum right now. The Red Wings come out of the gate as hot as they probably have ever been, and then they have two very key injuries almost within a week later, two weeks later. And so we've gotten both sides, and uh, I think we're just landing somewhere in the middle at this point yeah you look at like expected goal charts or anything else and there's whatever the four quadrants might be labeled and the red wings inevitably will be somewhere near the center vertex like it's they're just that's where they are and it's not it's not always sexy it's not always like hey the red wings put adam ernie on the top line and that worked that doesn't make for big storylines so it's it's understandably different than uh than you know the hype and excitement of the home opener or you know, Lucas Raymond coming out and having a hat trick against Chicago, I think it was, and or Mo Sider or the stuff that he did in his Calder season. It's just a different look, but doesn't mean bad results. So uh, as Evan ducks out early this episode, uh, I actually have a funny story for you. Okay. We're sitting like in our in our kitchen area. Uh, you guys hadn't come around yet, and um, we're talking to Cat and Evan, and we were joking about how I was essentially being Evan's. He texted me back at one point saying, okay, dad, because I kept reminding him to not forget very important things. And uh, we're talking and we're laughing about how I constantly have to remind Evan to bring this. Don't forget this. This is the time that we're doing this. And then Kat looks at me and goes, you know, it's so funny because when we go on vacations and stuff, Evan organizes everything. And I looked at her and I said, what did you just say to me? (laughs) He does what? And she was like, yeah, he is on top of everything. He is scheduled. He is organized. It's all done in advance. He does not miss a detail. And I looked at Evan. He had this shit-eating grin on his face. I was like, son of a... I was, I was hanging onto the edge of a wood table, and I was nearly going to crush it in my hands. Like, I was the Hulk. I was like, who and what are you? <laughs> when we were at dinner with Ken, and uh, I turned to pay attention to what uh, Evan was saying to Ken, and he was describing his job in full detail and you and I looked at each other we're like we've known him for near a decade and we have never known this amount of detail about the work that he does the guy's the epitome of an enigma all right uh let's take a quick minute here to talk about some stories around the NHL first of all the Leafs oh boy what is going on they're leafing they are I I think they have their own like Verbs and adjectives to describe when the Leafs leaf, the Leafs leaf it up. Yeah. I'm speaking gibberish, but everybody knows exactly what I mean as I say it. I think the title to the the most recent LFR that popped up on my feed from Steve Dangle was, the Leafs are bad and not haha funny bad. <laughs> <laughs> I saw him having a rant that every game the Leafs play, they're the second toughest team on the ice. I can't believe that's still the storyline. I understand that the storyline and whatever like the the media is is running with that day isn't necessarily the truth, especially in Leafland. 
But how this many years in is that still the storyline? And you know what? It doesn't matter right now. It matters, but I, I still think the Leafs, with the amount of talent that they have, Cannon should comfortably make the playoffs and be fighting for, for home ice advantage. But how are they still doing this? Every year, it's something. Last season, they actually had a phenomenal season. They just had terrible goaltending. But how is, there, how is it something every year? And we won't get into the actual how, but I'm going to ask a question that I've raised before. If they're really, really bad, and if they are hurting in the way that they need to change, does Sheldon Keefe go? And if Sheldon Keefe goes, are you really keeping Dubas? And if you're keeping Dubas, or if you're getting rid of Dubas, what about Brendan Shanahan? Everything is on eggshells in Toronto right now. Keefe would be the first domino, likely mid-season if it's going off the rails. Dubas's contract is up at the end of the year, so that feels like a foregone conclusion that they just won't bring him back. Shanahan's the one I don't know because he it's hard to tell if he's more hands-off with like the personnel decisions and, and the roster construction or if he's very involved. If he's very involved, then obviously you have to look at that. But if he's you know, handling more presidential duties within the organization and, and letting the GM truly build their own roster, yeah, then it makes sense to keep Shanahan around and, and bring in the next guy. It's going to be fun to watch. I uh, The other night, I, I loudly declared to Melissa, I was like, hey, removing all objective analysis from here, like I'm not doing my podcast uh, analysis. I'm, I'm being a fully emotional, subjective hockey fan right now. I do like when Toronto has really, really good regular seasons because I don't like when they front load their misery. I like it all to come in the postseason. That's when I love the drama to come through. It's like when you were a kid and you had the Dunkaroos. The first nine cookies had the bare minimum frosting, and then that last cookie <laughs> took all the frosting. That is the Leafs and the misery uh, and how it's d- divvied up. That is the most perfect, perfect description. <laughs> Everyone knows what we're talking about now. Yeah, a thousand percent. Uh, some other, I think, really kind of notable storylines you know seattle is has had a nicer start to the season i think they're i'm happy to see them hanging in there a bit more i'm curious to see what happens with shane wright in the long term talk about how to not handle a prospect 101 jesus yeah let's take the guy who by all rights could be a franchise player has all the talent to be a franchise player got dealt a bad hand because he missed an entire year of development because his league didn't play during COVID. So their solution this year, don't let him play hockey again. Yeah, that one blow, it blows me away. I don't I don't care if he's too good for junior and he is too good for junior. Him going back to junior right now, putting up 5 points a game playing 25 minutes a night against, you know, beer league level competition relative to his skill level is better than what they're doing. Mm-hmm. I agree. And you only have so much control. It depends on their faith in his program in junior, but you only have so much control in what you can have him do over there. But if you can work with that team, that system, their development staff, or at the very least a player and his agent, hire some personnel to work with him, whatever. I think, yeah, just getting him playing hockey. And he's a player where it's been well-documented. He's... A very he's like he's a mental player like he's very much influenced by his own psyche his own development his ability to see the fruits of his labor and he's coming off of an emotional few months here like he dropped a fourth in the draft and you, you know he didn't take that well 
and he wants to use that to fuel him, give him somewhere to drive. Can't use that. He can't use that to fuel his game if he's not playing. Anyhow, Vancouver, two-game win streak. My goodness, they finally put it together. Don't talk about how it happened, but it counts. The panic's over. This team's fine. They're going to the (laughs) cup. Uh, Philly, though. How are they 5-2-1 to start the season? Carter Hart. That's the story. That is the entire story. You look at the underlying numbers, that team is awful. Torts doesn't give a shit. No. They 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 try harder. They block some more shots or a little grittier. It doesn't matter. They're still getting caved at 5-5. Five and five. Carter Hart's got what? Like a 930-something, 940-something right now? This doesn't take a genius to figure out why they're succeeding so far. I will say it's... Uh... If you're going to be a team that on paper isn't going to be able to do a lot, at least play a little harder, hit a little harder, make it uncomfortable to play against you in your barn or anywhere else. And if your goalie's bailing you out on a heater, that's just gravy. Speaking of redemption tours, my favorite one, because I don't think at any point in this guy's career has he actually truly gotten the respect he deserves. And then due to a bad contract and a lot of bad injuries, just never really got to see the longevity of what he could be. But have you looked at uh, the top, the tippy tippy top number one in defensive defenseman scoring right now? No. Eric Carlson. I love that. I met that guy. It's been no secret for a few years. Like I've mentioned it for years now outside of Detroit. He's my favorite player in the NHL. He's my favorite non red wing or who never played for the red wings. Man, that guy healthy, I know he's not worth 11.5 after the injuries. I understand his contract sucks, and I understand he can't do what he used to do because his ankle is, well, literally rebuilt and like half missing. Paper mache at this point. Yeah, it's it's constructed of paper mache, confetti, and I think maybe Gorilla Glue. Mm -hmm. Leads all defensemen in scoring right now, and he is doing it spectacularly like he's not loading up on secondary assists he has scored some highlight real goals and made some unbelievable plays and truly does look like you know 2016 2017 eric carlson who at the time may have been the best player in the world and he was he's playing nearly 24 minutes a night yeah and san jose is not a good team he is not getting a lot of help there he is doing this solely because he is eric carlson it's phenomenal, and I'm so happy to see it because that man deserves all the good things in the world that happened to him. Rasmus Dahlin behind him. I yeah, yeah. The guy who everybody wrote off as washed up, and the guy who everybody wrote off as a bust. One, two in defensive scoring. Like, oh, for, for entirely different reasons. It is so satisfying. How many times are we going to see this story? I'll say even just specifically for defensemen drafted with a high pick, high expectations. Wasn't a defenseman who came out and had a most cider season, which is an aberration, and you cannot expect that from players consistently. People were ready to write him off. Oh, there was oh concerns about who he's going to turn out to be, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Do we consider trading him? Sometimes teams go further down that path than than other times, and then all of a sudden, given some time in development because they're human beings, and you know kids essentially when they come to this league, they explode. Happened with Victor Hedman. Happened. I honestly think a ton of times. It's too often where people just don't learn the script, and I I really think it's happening right now with uh, Rasmus Dahlin. Good, good. And that is huge. hate that he's in our division, but yeah, good. 
yeah, looking at this just from an objective point, like that is massive for Buffalo if they want to move up these standings. Okay, we're going to jump into overtime here, but before I do that, I do want to give a quick recap on um, Winged Wheel Podcast tonight at the LCA and some exciting news about the future. So as we announced at the event, the next Winged Wheel Podcast night at the LCA is planned. Tickets will be released uh, in due course and due time. So we'll, uh, we'll announce that make sure that uh, you hold off on grabbing tickets. We do have them reserved for you. You will be able to get them, uh, and get them through our link so that it is all tagged with the winged wheel podcast discount, the donation to the Jamie Daniels foundation. And so we can see how many incredible winged wheel podcast, uh, fans and listeners come through. So the next winged wheel podcast night at the LCA is Saturday, April 8th against the Pittsburgh Penguins. That's 2023 Saturday, April 8th against the Pittsburgh Penguins. We're going to be doing it all again. Uh, last night or yesterday, sorry, the whole day was, I can't believe we are still saying this, but we, you practically knocked us off our feet. Uh, we were in a brand new space with, with hockey town cafe. Cause we're like, with the amount of people coming through, we need to be indoors, uh, and we need to be able to accommodate more people. You filled multiple floors of hockey town cafe, like massive floors. And then some, um, Ken and Mick were just absolutely flabbergasted. We were like, we don't know if people are going to come now because it's not, you know, the first part of it is not directly at the LCA. So I'm like, mm, none of these people actually like us. They never want to come listen to us. It's just that it was convenient to walk in and you guys packed the house and just were an incredible, incredible audience. Thank you all so much. Please know that we are already planning ways on how to make the next one even smoother uh, in a new space, wherever it may be uh, and even better. And we're going to be asking for your feedback before I get too far into it. I do. owe we do owe people some thank yous. First of all. Ken Daniels and Mickey Redmond for coming out. It was just an incredible, incredible experience uh, having them with us again. Uh, Prashant Iyer for being there as well. Prashant wasn't only just on the show. He was part of the crew all weekend, the Wind Wheel podcast crew, helping set up, making sure that we were all fed, uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. which is very important. Yes. The fatherhood instincts were good there. Uh, and he uh, had a fantastic conversation with Mickey Redmond about analytics, which we're very <laughs> excited for you all to hear. <laughs> Expected by whom was said. Um, so thank you to those three. Uh, thank you to, uh, uh, you guys will know, Melissa, uh, my better half, does is essentially our event planner manager. She tells us meatheads what to do and where to go. And massive uh, thank you to uh, Evan's better, ca- better half, Catherine, uh, Crystal and Mika there as well. Um, those uh, lovely women were really the the engine behind the whole thing running. Uh, the Detroit Red Wings for being an incredible partner in this, not just donating for every ticket uh, bought, but also being such a massive support in setting up this event and recognizing the amazing Winged Wheel podcast community. They love it. Um, the social team was out there. Daniela came out and saw the crowd and uh, the impact that you all make and, and, and the team sees it and they shared that they you know, say thank you as well. Uh, to the Jamie Daniels Foundation, Chris uh, and his lovely wife, Roxanne, thank you for coming out. Uh, there was a great group actually from the uh, uh, Beaumont uh, Gross Point Clinic there. They joined in the fight against substance use disorder. They made a donation to the foundation, came out uh, in with massive support. Uh, a bunch of them, was it was really awesome to see them there. And uh, they're, they're looking for ways on how to further uh, kind of join the fight in, in this fantastic cause. And they do great work with their clinic as well. And all of you, there was a Michigan-Michigan State game happening. Yeah, there was. Which, yeah, there was. That was, it's, it's a tough event to compete with. And it was happening, the, the tailgate was happening during the pregame event. 
the game was happening at the exact same time as the game. And you guys still matched our record for most uh, Winged Wheel Podcast Night tickets sold. We were fully expecting this one to dwindle down because of that. Like 100% we were prepared. We had come to terms with it. We were okay with it. And you still made the difference and, and came out and supported an incredible cause. And hopefully you saw a fantastic live show. Um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You made such an impact on us that Evan, at the end of the night, <laughs> we have a, a little video we're putting together with uh, Andy, uh, who was uh, did phenomenal work catching a lot of footage that night. But Evan grabbed the microphone out of my hands and gave a heartfelt thank you to all of you. That's how impactful it was. You and I, Brad, just looked at each other and been like, like this is the most emotion Evan has ever shown in his life. Like I was gonna make the joke after you gave your heartfelt heartfelt little spiel. I was gonna be like, and what else is there to say? I literally left it because I thought Evan was gonna say it, and then yeah, he just he just goes into a deep one. I'm like, oh, oh, that's that's very off brand. And uh, one last quick little announcement before jumping into overtime, uh, Ken wore the uh, Mickey Redmond Winged Wheel Podcast Special Edition Flannel on air with Bally Sports Detroit. Thank you, by the way, to Bally Sports Detroit, also a fantastic uh, partner in all of this, uh, putting together the, uh, the the segment on TV for us. It, it really helps uh, spread the great message for uh, support all of the listeners' show. Uh, so thank you, Bally Sports Detroit. But yeah, Ken wore the flannel, and a bunch of you, a bunch more requests came in saying, I need one of those damn flannels. Mick wore it to the live show, of course. We're going to be doing another run. So that is in the works right now. Stay tuned. We will be doing another run of the special edition Mickey Redmond Winged Wheel Podcast Flannels. It's the least we can do to say thanks. Okay, let's jump into Overtime, which is brought to you by our Patreon supporters who are the heart and soul of this show and are, are the reason we're able to do things like host Winged Wheel Podcast Nights at the LCA. Uh, a ton of benefits for them. Access to the Discord, ask, access to the uh, bonus episodes, a bunch more that... Uh, I won't get into right now because Brad, I, I think you need to lay down horizontal soon enough. So we're going to take some questions. We're going to start with a comment from my brand new patron, Cubecasts. Thank you so much for supporting the show. It means the world to uh, see new patrons come in. Really appreciate it. it. Says hi guys, I'm new here. Love the show and finally decided to, to pay y'all. Uh, anyways, what's your biggest takeaway from the Wings in the big losses versus their wins this season? Is it purely being outplayed or just an off night for the Wings? It's a mixed bag, I think. Yeah, there's. You know, you look at the underlings for the Red Wings this season, they're not great. They're, you know, I was looking at it today, I forget which website. Most of the overarching stats you want to look at, the Red Wings sit somewhere between like 18 and 22 in the league. So when you're in that range, yeah, you're going to have a couple really bad nights. You're going to have a couple really good nights. But for the most part, it's going to be meh, which is, you know, what the Red Wings have been. I think I might have said it last episode. They've had a fairly easy schedule so far. We expect them to be a tweener playoff teams, beat the non-playoff teams, lose to the playoff teams, and you know they are what we thought they were. And for the most part, that's what they've done this year. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good summary. I think we'll know more very clearly, I hope, by the new year. It'll be less of a, uh, less of a mixed bag. Eric Asmus says, uh, what an amazing event, guys. That was freaking awesome last night. I got a chance to meet each of you, plus Prashanth. I uh, didn't get Evan's autograph, but I did get him to engage in conversation for a solid five minutes. That is 
Doctors have not been able to do that in clinical studies. So congratulations. Uh, my question last night that we didn't get to, what do we think the delay is in putting number 40 in the rafters? Is it not a slam dunk case? The Red Wings are weird about their retired numbers, and I really don't know how to elaborate beyond that. Because, again, for me, I understand the background, but it's still insane to me. Fedorov's not in the rafters. Yeah, to me, Zetterberg and Datsuk are slam dunks. Like, no doubt about it. They're not up there. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't think it's being weird. In general, I think it's two things. First of all, you said it, Zetterberg and Datsuk. I think they want them in together. I also think they have the Fedorov thing to figure out, right? Like, I, I, it's... It's an argument that's still very heated, but I think a lot of people are are coming around to the idea of, yes, retire Fedorov. So every jersey retirement they have that's not Sergei Fedorov can be perceived as a statement on Fedorov. Lidstrom and Iserman, those ones were automatic. Those almost skate past the conversation. But if you're retiring Datsuks and Zetterbergs, removing the drama of it, and I know that's a big statement, removing the drama of Fedorov from it, he should. He has as strong, if not a better case than both of them. Oh, so, he definitely does. So I think I think there is a Fedorov decision that needs to be made first, and I would not be surprised if the organization felt the same. It's uh, they they're gonna have to make a decision one way or another, and it might be with a we're gonna retire Pavel Datsuk and Henrik Zetterberg, and we say that's all that we have planned for now. In which case, consider the Fedorov thing settled for the time being, or. Pav and Hank are going to wait and they do, they catch up with Fedorov depending on what, and, and that's from ownership too, right? Like that's not going to be solely a, a Steve Eisman decision. That ownership has some very real feelings for uh, valid reasons, whether you agree or not. Like it's, it's not like nothing happened there. Uh, Coyote season tickets in Tempe says, Hey fellows, congrats on the success of another winged wheel podcast night at the LCA. Uh, it won't be long until the pregame recording has to be done on the ice simply to accommodate the number of people in attendance. Oh, that would be uh, be much easier. Sure, there's no logistical problems that come with that. Yeah. Warm-ups happening around us. Two of us get domed by a puck. <laughs> <laughs> One shot. Truly impressive. Yeah. <laughs> um, speaking of potential log jams, the Red Wings may have... Uh, one at the center position in a few years. Lombardi has 15 points in 12 games. Mazer, 8 points in 12 games. He had a Hattie the other night. Casper, uh, 10 points in 14 games. Master Simone, 8 points in 9 games. And Savage, 6 points in 8 games. There's a long way to go in their seasons, but not only have many of these guys been producing for their teams, but they've been scoring and setting up plays in clutch moments. It's very encouraging, and while I don't expect them all to be key players for the wings, it's nice to have some depth at center and to see so many non-first-round picks looking like they could be hits. Yeah, and, and you kind of alluded it to there. N- the only guy there that's probably a, a sure bet to be a Red Wing is Casper. I'd tick Mazer into the very, very likely category at this point. And, but but here's the beauty of centers. You can always transition them to the wing. It, it's very easy to go from center to wing. It's very hard to go the other way. Mm-hmm. So if all these guys are, are center and junior player, if they can't play center on the Red Wings because there's too many centers you can still find a spot for him. Jeremy Dahl says, congrats on all your success, guys. You're such great ambassadors for our team and do a great job of galvanizing our fan base. You've also made the last few years so bearable, so thank you for that. Jeremy, as always, thank you for your incredibly kind words. Um, Hearing all of you uh, 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 
share your appreciation and, and say things which I'm convinced um, our partners paid you to say to make us feel nice. It, it really was. Uh, that's how we recharge. I know I've said that before, but that's how we get the energy to do the show. Last uh, night gave you energy. I can barely move today. Well, <laughs> the emotional energy. <laughs> Definitely, I asked you for a 20-minute warning before getting here because I was horizontal. And I know I have zero excuse next to you, <laughs> except for the extra little foray into the night that we had after you you went home. Um, who are you most looking forward to getting back, Verona, Fabri, or Bertuzzi? Okay, that's complicated. We said all year how important it was for Verona to play 82, but this is different. You know, the program he's in, it, it, it's not about injury. It's about getting help as a human being. So I don't like the idea of putting any pressure in that sense. Um, Bertuzzi's play when he gets back is has twofold impact. One, what's his future with this team going to be? And two, can he elevate this team to more success on the ice right now? So for me, it's Bertuzzi. I'll save Verona just to be different. Okay. Th <laughs> thanks for that. All right, folks, uh, we desperately need to wrap this up, record our Patreon exclusive overtime. Brad needs some kind of medication. We still haven't figured that one out yet. Many, several. Yeah, we got to we gotta make sure that uh, you get the rest you need. So we're going to still record our Patreon exclusive overtime, then wrap this up. We'd like to thank all of you for listening. If you're a new listener, uh, welcome to the show. Thanks for bearing with us as we recover physically and mentally from uh, an amazing Winged Wheel podcast night. And to all of you who came out, thank you so, so much. And if you want to uh, come to the next one, stay tuned. Tickets will be uh, released in due course. Stay tuned for those. Make sure you wait for the Winged Wheel Podcast Night's tickets. Uh, we'd like to thank all of our listeners, our Patreon supporters, our name-level sponsors, Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation. Eves, it was great seeing you and your boys at the event all the way from Luxembourg. It was amazing. Akefer, Armchair GM slash Genius, Nick Perks, Terry Driver of the number 69, Crying Ryan Hansman, and Slamma Jamathong, Matthew Emerice, Croner's Left Knee, Ben Hurd, Bingo Bango, the Smoothied Mango, Brandon M, Carl Brutanen Analuski, Chimmy, Chris Ball, Chris P, Citizen High Five, Connor Scovey, Coyote Season Tickets in Tempe, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Evans Actual Dentist, Give Blood Fight Probert, Hassam Al Qasem, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Kaylin Wood, Kevin James, King Tone, Marcus, Matt McKay, Nadelkovich, goalie number one, Nicholas Fritz, R.A., Ryan Hanna, Ryan Hanna, the unshowered, Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, the podcasting couch, Zachary Rogers, Alex Hodgson, uh, General Andy Bohan of the Cheesebag Army. Alex Hodgson is a brand new name level sponsor. Welcome. Sam Bankson, uh, number one Detroit Red Guys fan. Uh, Adam, I wish I could finish like Ernie. Uh, Adam Rose, Antonio Gracias, Babe Landiscog, Ben Barron, Brian Vasha, Connor Leighton, uh, Darren Fick. Darren, thank you so much for all of your help this weekend. Dave W., Disciple of Larsh, the Prophet of the Towering Behemoth, Philip Zadiz Nuts, James Laporte, Jeffrey Dun Dun Dun, Jeremiah Dobo, J.M. Rhapsody, John Evans, John Angles, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Linda Hull, Logan Burgos, Matt S., Loyal Soldier of the Cheesebag Army, Maximilian, Melissa Erickson, O. Ophelia, Papa Woody, Reed, Thick Rick, and We Snot. I don't know what that is, and I'm concerned. We'll talk to you guys midweek. Bye.
Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.